Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. Many democratically elected leaders emulated Donald Trump's dystopian politics. Viktor Orban of Hungary and Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil come immediately to mind. Bolsonaro even reveled in calling himself the Trump of the tropics. But Trump himself emulated Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu's politics as the most notorious feature of his first presidential campaign would attest. That feature, of course, was his call in December 2015 for a ban on Muslims entering the United States. After all, Trump was merely emulating the call Netanyahu made during his own prime ministerial campaign in March of that same year. That call, of course, was for Jews to re-elect him to prevent not just Palestinians from having their own state, but Arabs from defiling Israel's holy promise of a homeland only for Jewish people. And no doubt Trump's norm-busting, Muslim-bashing and race-baiting rhetoric will live in infamy. But even he never dared to say that America is a homeland only for white people. This dubious distinction alone gives one cause to say that Netanyahu calling on Trump to condemn anti-Semitism is a classic case of the pot calling the kettle black. Yet when Netanyahu did so this week, you would have been hard-pressed to find, among all the reporters and commentators who praised him, any who called this spade a spade. In fact, most reports and commentaries read the way Netanyahu's interview played out on Sunday's edition of Meet the Press. Host Chuck Todd spent most of it grilling him about the obvious disconnect between calling on Trump to condemn anti-Semitism and refusing to condemn Trump for having dinner with two self-hating oxymoronic anti-Semites, namely disgraced rapper Kanye West and white supremacist Nick Fuentes. But the way Netanyahu parried showed he's smart enough to know that it's as much of a political no-brainer for an anti-Semite to condemn anti-Semitism while continuing to say and do anti-Semitic things as it is for a racist to condemn racism while continuing to do the same. But everyone knows that Trump is just too dumb to appreciate this. All the same, Todd should have pressed Netanyahu by, among other things, asking him a question like this. Respectfully, Mr. Netanyahu, viewers might get the impression that you are reluctant to condemn Trump's anti-Semitism 
not just because it mirrors your own racism, but because you are hedging your bet in case he gets elected president again. So let me ask you, are you hoping that becomes the case so you can play him for even more favours for Israel? The reason for the question, of course, is that Netanyahu used nothing more than idle flattery last time to get Trump to abandon long-standing U.S. policies. Most notably, he induced Trump to reject the two-state solution as the basis for peace with the Palestinians and to recognize the disputed city of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the rightful place for the U.S. Embassy there. But the question clearly answers itself because it anticipates Netanyahu's predictable reply. No less notable, though, it duly insinuates that Trump has always courted anti-Semitism. His most notable quotables in this respect include him saying that he hates the very notion of black guys counting his money because the only people he wants doing so are short guys who wear yarmulkes every day. <laughs> and claiming that then-Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen, Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein, and financier George Soros are leaders of a Jewish conspiracy aimed at undermining his presidential agenda. To be fair, though, Trump might condemn anti-Semitism when Netanyahu condemns the anti-Arabism he has always courted. In fact, his venal and amoral quest for power is such that Netanyahu is now forming a right-wing government that will be every bit as hostile to Muslims as Hitler's government was to Jews. This is why prominent Jewish Americans, like a former head of the Anti-Defamation League, Abraham Foxman, and celebrated lawyer Alan Dershowitz, are warning Netanyahu of incalculable damage to Israel's reputation if he proceeds with ethnic cleansing plans, which include the deportation of 40,000 African migrants. But Netanyahu would be forgiven for feeling more than a little bewildered. After all, as indicated earlier, he relied on xenophobic and racist rhetoric to win not just one, but five elections. Indeed, he's already the longest-serving prime minister in Israeli history, with 15 years in office and he was just re-elected months ago to serve another four-year term. Yet you too would be forgiven for thinking that Netanyahu has just gone too far this time. After all, he's forming a government that apes the apartheid government, which made South Africa a pariah state for much of the second half of the 20th century. Except, with all due respect to Foxman and Dershowitz, 
I am constrained to point out that Netanyahu is just doing as Netanyahu does. In fact, he gave me cause to denounce him in blog commentaries like Netanyahu deporting blacks to preserve white character of Jewish state on January 4, 2018. And, even more on point, Israel votes to become more like apartheid South Africa on March 18, 2015. Even so, my humility compels me to channel Admiral James Stockdale by quipping, Who am I? What authority do I have? <laughs> this is why I hasten to add that no less an authority than former U.S. President Jimmy Carter denounced Netanyahu in similar fashion in his book, Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid, in 2006. Uh, mind you, given all that, you can see why Trump himself would be forgiven for feeling a little bewildered, too. After all, people like Netanyahu, who always condoned his anti-Semitism, are now condemning him for merely dining with anti-Semites. Not to mention that Trump is countering their condemnation, as he often does, by pointing to the Jews in his cabinet including his son-in-law, Jared, who always stood beside him, like religious eunuchs. This was the case, most notoriously, when Trump said there were fine people on both sides, after tiki-torch-carrying neo-Nazis marched in Charlottesville shouting, Jews will not replace us. <laughs> this is why... Just as the election and continual re-election of Netanyahu says far more about his Zionist supporters than him, the continued dominance of Trump in American politics says far more about his MAGA supporters than him. The blame and shame are on their supporters, respectively for blithely supporting men who exhibit political traits that make them more akin to Adolf Hitler than Thomas Jefferson. But a truly remarkable feature of Netanyahu's chutzpah is the way he conspired with Republicans to undermine the authority of the first black president of the United States, Barack Obama. Nothing was more damning in this respect than when Netanyahu defied long-established norms by accepting their invitation to address a joint session of Congress in March 2015. Because he did so, not only to help Republicans torpedo Obama's negotiations for a nuclear deal with Iran, but also to help them belittle and humiliate Obama himself. Arguably, that congressional stunt was a prelude to the now infamous way Trump conspired with Republicans five years later to torpedo the orderly transfer of presidential power from him 
to Obama's vice president, Joe Biden. Given the anti-Semitism at issue, there is no denying the fateful irony of evangelicals being Trump's most devoted supporters. Yet, apropos of one merely emulating the other, the way evangelicals always worshipped Netanyahu made even the cult-like way they began worshipping Trump in 2016 look reasonable. For, as I delineated in the blog post, the Armageddon bargain between white evangelicals and Jews on March 3, 2021, evangelicals would rather kiss the ass of this Jewish prime minister than the brass ring of the Christian Pope. Hell, Trump himself even bemoaned that evangelicals in America were more excited about all he did for Israel than Jews in Israel itself. In any event, it is as formidable as it is foreboding that Netanyahu is now in the position to form the most xenophobic, homophobic, and racist government in Israeli history. This after defying common sense to get elected, even while on trial, for a litany of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust charges. This means that he is setting yet another dystopian example for Trump to follow. <laughs> sure enough, just weeks ago, Trump declared his intent to defy common sense by getting elected in 2024, even though he is bound to be on trial for a litany of corruption, fraud, and treasonous charges. And he is promising, or warning, that if elected, he will form the most xenophobic, homophobic, and racist government in U.S. history. In fact, he's even threatening to abolish the Constitution to ensure he serves for life. <laughs> Clearly, if ever there were two political birds of a feather, Bibi Netanyahu and Donald Trump compose that flying flock. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.